1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science Podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking to Sarah Chaffee, who's the author of Necessary Trouble, Americans in Revolt, published by Nation Books this year. Sarah, how are you doing today? I am good. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. I, I've sort of been following from a distance all of your travels around the country talking about this book and have been so looking forward to having you on uh, so that I could talk. I haven't been able to travel to all these different places, um, and so I've just been so uh, excited to talk to you about the about this work. Before we get to it, maybe you could tell us just a little bit about yourself and some of your unique uh, places that you've been and, and where you are now.
0: Yeah. So I am currently and have been for the last couple of years a reporting fellow at the Nation Institute, um, which means I am a uh, partly subsidized uh, independent journalist. Um, which I kind of think is best best of both worlds because I get to freelance for a lot of different places, but I'm not. Um, you know, I have regular and steady support for my work, so I can actually do things like um, buy a plane ticket to go to North Dakota and cover the um, the standoff around the Dakota Access Pipeline at a at a, a moment's notice, so to speak. Um, before that, I was a reporter at In These Times magazine. I was the reporter at Alternet, and I yeah, I've, been, I've worked for many, 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 many different publications over the last few years.
1: Yeah, that, that it sounds uh, very typical of, of people in your field <laughs> yes, and also that you have a very nice setup right now, too, that has afforded you yeah. the opportunity to write this very interesting book. You're very good to me. Yeah, you write at the start of the book that your aim is to bring an understanding of the new radicals. Why do the new radicals need to be understood? <laughs> and And have we ignored them or have we misunderstood them in some way? Tell us about this, uh, the, these new radicals.
0: Yeah, I think I think we've done a little of both. Um, the, the, I wanted to write this book to bring together all of these movements and uprisings that have been happening since the financial crisis and talk about them as if they're connected and as if there's something particular about this historical period that we should be aware of that's sparking these kind of rebellions. And so... I use the word radicals deliberately when introducing this because, you know, in the in the sense of radical meaning to get to the root of something, because I think that one of the things that we have we haven't seen in the past few decades that we're seeing now is these movements are really talking about deep structural change. They're really talking about capitalism. They're really talking about white supremacy. They're not talking about you know, who we're going to elect president or who is going to be governor. They're talking about like, how are we going to radically reconstruct the system that is more equitable for everyone? And so, you know, and, and when I'm, to do that, I, I covered everything from the Tea Party to Black Lives Matter to, you know, the climate justice movement and tried to actually see what are the threads that are common about these movements, both tactically and structurally and their critiques and the, the things that they're responding to.
1: Now, in order to do this, this is a this is a big, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a big thing to do. In order to do this, uh, you did a lot of travel. did. I did. Where, where are some of the places you visited to write this book? Yeah,
0: I went to St. Louis. I went to, um, the Raleigh Durham area in North Carolina to talk to the moral Mondays. I went to Seattle and covered the fight for 15 out there and the, the campaign of Shama Sawant, the socialist city council member. Um, I, you know, I was in New York plenty. Obviously this is where I live, but I um, went to Chicago, um, went to Atlanta and you know in in so many of these places heard kind of the same things from people the same things that they were angry about the same crunches that they were facing in terms of you know their personal life their economic issues um the the structures that they're challenging in so many places are still the same even though you're looking at at very different movements that sprang up in different parts of the country and very different um very different reactions I would say from the press the media um and the rest of the country.
1: Now along those that exact point. Yeah. Um scholars have have long debated what defines a social movement. Mm-hmm. And and as you wrote this book, did your definition change at all? You you study uh, some varied movements, some, yeah. you know, kind of tightly knit and others much more loosely organized. Mm-hmm. What have you come uh, come to view? as a social movement? Has your, has your definition been refined at all? Yeah,
0: that's a really really good question, actually. I do think that I have, and I'm still changing it, I'm, I'm reading books now that I'm going, oh, hmm, I didn't think about this this way, maybe I, you know, next time I'll write about it in this framework. I do think that, you know, I, I use various terms in the book. I use uprisings, I use rebellions, I use um, movements, um, campaigns, Different things in the book are, are more one than the other. The fight for fifteen is is really a, a campaign more than an organic kind of movement. Um, but it is organized and it is spread and it has been, you know, very successful in, in making fifteen dollars an hour not just a, a reasonable demand, but a successful demand in several places. Um so I look at all of these things and and the possibility of them in this moment as you know, connected parts maybe of one big movement, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I would still have a hard time defining what I think is a social movement. I, I would end up falling back on the whole obscenity definition thing, right? That I know it when I see it. Um, but it is, it is fascinating, right? Because I, I do think um, that when different people say social movements, we mean very different things. Some people think of a social movement as, you know, the the spontaneous uprising of people in the streets other people think of a social movement as an organization that lasts for 20 years and, and you know, sort of grinds out very concrete, small gains for people like stoplights and and small wage increases. Um, and I think the thing that I the criteria that I was using in this book is partly was just time wise, were these things that happened after the financial crisis that were i um, responding to these kind of structural questions after that bad crisis. So things like the, the immigrants rights movement really aren't in this book in, in that same kind of way, even though they obviously fit most of the criteria because they didn't, they didn't feel bounded by the same, um, the same set of questions that I was asking, I guess. Whereas something like, again, the fight for 15, which, you know, we might argue is, is or is not a movement still fit into this context that I was trying to um, trying to bring out. Am I making sense yeah. or am I just
1: rambling? No, that's great. And it's actually reassuring <laughs> that you haven't just found like the missed the the long sought after single definition. No, because,
0: I, I as you yeah. as you
1: describe, you know, it is it is inherently hard to pin down. Yeah. Um you know one of the things that that some who are interested in social movements often leave out are mm-hmm. elected officials and mm-hmm. they're often treated as very different. But but not you. You uh, write about elected officials, yeah. and, and you had mentioned one just earlier. Mm. Would you tell us a little bit about, and I may not pronounce the name right, but Kashama sure. Sawant, yeah. is that the right pronounce yeah. pronunciation? Tell me, tell us about that elected official.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I did write about elected officials, not not much. I certainly didn't, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about elections in this book, but I do think that there are... Um, It was important to look at candidates like Shama Sawant who came out of movements and then use that movement energy and the the credibility that she had built with the city of Seattle by being part of Occupy Wall Street, or Occupy Seattle in that case, um, by really seizing on the fight for 15 and making that part of her campaign. She really successfully used movement energy to get elected and has been and remained pretty connected to those movements and and trying to actualize the demands of movements while in office. And so she's not your typical elected official in that way. And I think there are, there are plenty of elected officials in, in the country right now who owe their, you know, their standing to the existence of these movements, whether we're talking about Bernie Sanders or whether we're talking about somebody like New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, um, who was not really a creature of the movements, but who used the, some core demands of social movements that had been going on in New York City in order to get elected. So he he you know zeroed in on stop and frisk um, and racist policing, and he zeroed in on economic inequality. So, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of ways we can talk about um, social movements affecting um, elections and elected officials, whether or not that's, electing a certain specific person, but I found Shama particularly interesting because I looked at the, you know, the Wisconsin uprising, which culminated then in this recall campaign to try to get rid of Governor Scott Walker, which was unsuccessful, and then the Chicago teacher strike, and then the campaign to get rid of Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, which for a moment, looked like Karen Lewis, the president of the Chicago Teachers Union, was going to challenge him. And that would have been a very different race. But the person who did who ended up running when Karen Lewis was was ill um, was unsuccessful and was also not as connected to the movements in Chicago as Karen Lewis had been. So looking at somebody like Shama Sawant, who was successful, who did have these organic connections to the movements in her city, um it really it sort of answered the question that I put forward in the earlier chapter about like what what might have been successful in Wisconsin, who might have been able to beat Scott Walker because running the same guy who had just been beaten by Scott Walker again didn't do the trick,
1: yeah, no, much of the book as as you note is about what we would describe as left wing groups, mm-hmm. but you also discuss the tea party um tea party mm-hmm. as a social yeah and part of the new radicals, and and in which ways?
0: Um, yeah, I do think that, you know, there's a, a tendency that I think is a really unfortunate tendency on the left to assume that the Tea Party was just this astroturf thing that was sort of dreamed up by billionaires. And you know, certainly the billionaires and Fox News did their part to try to make this thing as big as possible, and they threw money at it and threw coverage at it. But there are also a lot of Legitimately angry people who did legitimate grassroots organizing um, to make the Tea Party a thing, and there were, you know, there are grassroots groups. People have written excellent books about the, about the subject. That um, I don't, you know, I don't didn't get that deeply into it, but I did think that it was important to put it in this context again because it was the the thing and and the first big thing that happened after the financial crisis. Um, that was responding to the issues of the financial crisis and responding to them in a way that sort of did and sort of didn't make a lot of sense maybe, but was, you know, it was definitely coming out of that moment. So when you think about the, the Rick Santelli on the floor of the Chicago board of trade, literally surrounded by the kinds of people who had created the financial crisis, yelling in anger about how we are going to go dump derivative securities into the the lake. That, You know, it's sort of incoherent thing when you think about it, but it, to many people, catalyzed the anger they were feeling and gave them somewhere to go with it. And there wasn't nearly the equivalent kind of mobilization on the left up until basically Occupy Wall Street.
1: And, and how do you connect the Tea Party to the the so called alt right? Oh, is this a is there a through I hate line here? that term. Here? Is,
0: you know, it I
1: really is, hate alt right. I just it is, and it, you don't use it in your book. <laughs> no, This I is don't. a term I'm using. No, um, yeah. But but but, and I think exactly your point is is right. It's it's a sort of a clunky term. So so. Tell us why why is alt right so so wrong to you and and what does make sense of it for us in yeah, like in, in your way because I'm sure you think about it a lot
0: <laughs> I do because I hate that t- I basically hate hate calling anything alt anything this is uh-huh, personal right. sort of linguistic pet peeve of mine but in terms of the alt right like what what is alt about them? Are we talking about somebody like Milo Yiannopoulos, who's basically a professional internet troll? Are we talking about people who are just like more blatantly white supremacist than we maybe thought people still were? Like, you know, there's, um, I start out the book with J.D. Meadows, who is a, a guy from Ripley, Mississippi, who had was angry about the bank bailouts and angry about the Benchcraft plant leaving his town, and the the group that he found that was organizing people who were angry about those things in Ripley, Mississippi, was the Council of Conservative Citizens, which is a very old white supremacist group that then got some fame a few years later when Dylan Roof shot nine black people in a church in South Carolina. And it turned out that he had been reading the Council of Conservative Citizens website and finding and reading racist news there, basically. So when people are like the alt-right is like this new right wing conservative racist threat, I'm just like, well, I mean, the Council of Conservative Citizens was still around. They had a website. People were reading their news on, you know, on the Internet. So, like, what's alt about it? What's new about it? Um, the, the websites are a little shinier um, you know I'm I'm mm-hmm. quite confused as to like what's new and alt about white supremacist far right groups those have been part of American history since the beginning and haven't gone anywhere and I you know I wonder and I'm not a um, you know an empirical researcher so I don't really know what the best way to do this would be but I would love to see a study on whether Donald Trump has actually increased the number of people in these kind of groups, what whatever we're calling them or whether they're just getting attention now because they're able to be a little more open because Donald Trump has created this space to just say horrifically racist stuff in public. So um, yeah. So my, my feeling on the alt right is using that term sort of, creates a thing that's new and different out of something that doesn't seem terribly new and different to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, you know, I've, I've written about the Tea Party before and I I think I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, to sort of trim these, trim the long histories to to be just, you know, uh, two or two or three years really does not do justice to the long, long institutional histories on, on all movements. I all of these movements really have right. uh, ideas that, that they are building on and, and so right. forth. You know, you know this, this really does take us to our current moment mm-hmm. in, in many ways, um, which is not, a, which is not the, the focus of the book. Um, but where do you anticipate these varied social movements, m- most of them that you talk about in the book, but also some of the ones that are a little more peripheral? Where do you see these taking us over the next four years or so?
0: Yeah, I mean, the next four years are going to be Interesting. I think that there's no there's not going to be the kind of grace period that Barack Obama got. And i partly, you know, partly I think he legitimately got a grace period from progressive activists because everybody was so excited to have somebody who wasn't George W. Bush in the White House. Also, there was just straight up shock because the the economy, you know, capitalism had just sort of halfway collapsed and we weren't really sure what was going on. And neither of those conditions are going to exist for presumably President Hillary Clinton. And also, you know, the, the insurgent challenge within the democratic party was against her, not with her. So those people are certainly ready from day one, day zero day, 180 days ago to fight her on things that they see that, you know, that they see as, um, yeah, as, as worth having a fight over, which many, many things. Um, and so I'm looking right now at the the fight that's going on in North Dakota around this Dakota Access Pipeline, and it's, you know, it's a fight about a pipeline. It's a fight about water. It's also a fight about um, treaty rights for the indigenous people who have always lived in that part of the country that are seeing their land just, you know, taken, their burial grounds dug up, um, and it's a really fascinating. Moment, you know, I went out there a few weeks ago, and I really wish I had been able to put it in the book, but it was not happening when the book was finished. Uh-huh. And and looking at that, and I met people. i you know, I saw people that I knew from Occupy Wall Street out there. I met people um, from the movement for Black Lives who had traveled out there. Uh, I really saw the sense that people have now that their movements are interconnected, and that they have to show up in solidarity with the people of Standing Rock. And those people will then show up in solidarity with them around their fights and that, you know, on some level, particularly climate change is is all of our fight, of course. But understanding this as as more than just a simple, you know. Not that the fight against climate Uh, Climate change is simple, but, you know, understanding it is a complicated fight that has a lot of, of different variables and watching really, you know, at the same time as yesterday while we're recording this, the heavily, heavily armed police were raiding the camp in North Dakota. There were young people from the camp who had come to New York City who did an action at Hillary Clinton's campaign office in New York and then I believe went to Trump Tower. And so, you know, while they are they're holding their space. In North Dakota, they're also bringing it to the people who want to be the most powerful person in the country and making demands of them. And so, you know, that is it's hopeful. It's also frightening when you look at the amount of military force that's used on peaceful people. And unless things get better for a lot of people, they're going to continue to be angry and they're going to continue to be looking for places to put that anger Because a lot of people out there are still really struggling. And for many, many people, when you say economic recovery, there's just they kind of look at you like you're bonkers because they haven't had an economic recovery.
1: Yeah. The book, again, is Necessary Trouble, Americans in Revolt, published by Nation Books. The author is Sarah Jaffe. Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.